sometimes, even for the person who leans more unhealthy but is like wanting to grow towards health, sometimes for reasons that they can't understand, their bodies resist something that is actually more life-giving because uh, the nervous system has been so trained to reject that upfront as a way of preventing an even deeper, scarier pain. Hey everyone, it's Melissa Moore. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of Faith, Hope, Love, where we grow together in our faith, increase in hope, and learn how to better love God and love other people. If you missed last week's episode, please go back and watch it. We talked about the idea of trauma and how we address trauma in our day-to-day lives. Um, It's this big part of this momentum series, moving on, moving forward, moving others. We talked about trauma. It's a huge, huge thing that if we haven't dealt with our trauma, we need to deal with it. Um, I met last week with Joanne Kim, LMFT, and she's back here again with us today as we are going to be talking about toxic relationships. So Joanne, thanks for joining me on today's episode. And um, if you could um, just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe some of your credentials, passions, all that stuff. Yeah. So I'm a uh, licensed marriage and family therapist in the heart of the Silicon Valley in San Jose. And um, I love using the Enneagram and brain spotting therapy for feelers, healers, and dreamers. And so with these uh, folks, I support them as they navigate through really difficult emotions and how it shows up in their painful relationships because they usually go hand in hand. And so it's fun stuff. And definitely um, heavier topics. Um, but I, again, I, I said this in the last episode, I love that you work so much with people that are, they're helping other people. So I mean, you're helping people that are carrying trauma and toxic relationships for others. You're helping them carry that, carry that burden um, and process through that as well. So um, you're awesome. Um, I feel like you're totally, you're an expert on this. So I would, you know, we talked about trauma last week. Um, in the next several episodes, we're going to have people on the show that have walked through trauma and toxic relationships. But I would love for you to kind of unpack what actually is a toxic relationship. Um, what is what is that? And, and how does that kind of, uh, how do you differentiate that from a healthy relationship? I'll start from what a healthy relationship is and then work backwards. Well, if we think about ourselves as image rares of God, everyone is so different, <laughs> even though we're all uniquely created. Uh, we're we're um, given... Uh, reflections of uh, different aspects of God in that like some of us kind of uh, reflect back his compassion some of us reflect back his holiness and so on and so forth and so in each of us being different it's not necessarily me- uh, meant to be uh, opposed with each other like it doesn't have to be an either or arrangement it can be a both and so we think about healthy relationships through that uh, vantage point these connections are one where there's room enough in the connection for each person to be themselves, have their own needs, have their own uh, values and opinions, and still be you know, powerful sons and daughters in the kingdom. So if there isn't enough room in those connections, that's kind of how we go down the toxic relationship route. And there are two different options although we tend to see more of one as an example of toxic relationships than the other. So I'll explain the latter one first. When there isn't enough room in our connections for both people to be fully themselves, then 
sometimes there's enough room in the relationship by both parties kind of going off and doing their own thing. And so uh, in a marriage, for example, that might be like a couple kind of living under the same roof as if they're roommates, but they don't really spend a lot of time together. They have the same kids. Part of the reason why a lot of them might still be married is because their kids haven't gone off to college yet. And as soon as they go off, that's kind of when divorce happens. Um, but this can also be with um, other kinds of connections with like family members where there's barely any interaction throughout the year unless like some holiday rolls around. And when the holidays roll around, it's like super awkward. So that is an example of a relationship where there isn't enough room for both people so that they can coexist at the same time. And so like because there's just not a lot of interaction, there isn't really a knowing of each other or a revealing of oneself. Uh, so that type of relationship is what I call the apathetic relationship. So the idea is that there's a huge wall between the two people and the, both parties are going in opposite directions. And the main message is, I am me, you are you, there's no we. We're just doing our own thing. That is, I think, an example of a toxic relationship, but it doesn't get labeled as one because it doesn't usually get labeled as a relationship. But uh, when there are situations where the connection is forced, for example, with family, uh, that's kind of how that shows up more often. So that's one example. The second example of a toxic relationship is what uh, often gets called uh, as being an enmeshed relationship. Um, I do have to put an asterisk on that word enmeshed because sometimes it gets used to describe different relationships that are more culturally informed and being more collectivistic. Um, when, let's say, in certain parts of the world, there's more of an emphasis on society as a whole or on the collective, through our Americanized, Westernized, individualistic lens, that gets labeled as being bad. It's not bad. So I do want to make that clear distinction between the word enmeshed and collectivistic. But what I usually mean with uh, uh, the enmeshed dynamic is when two people are in close quarters and yet there isn't enough space between the space for each of them to be. So if you kind of think of two circles where one is kind of swallowing the other and the other one's smaller, a lot of anxiety, guilt, shame, anger, frustration, that's kind of the emotional evidence that there's way too much fusing between the two people and there's a lot of reactivity. Each person is not allowed to have their own opinions, but they're kind of like eyeing at the other person to see what they're going to do. So often we, when people think of toxic relationships, they usually think of this latter group of enmeshed relationships where there's a lot of controlling, there's a lot of uh, yelling or screaming or throwing of objects or whatever. But even within that enmeshed dynamic are things like um, guilt tripping or uh, each person not really cultivating their own individuality or not allowing the other person to have like time with their own friends and etc. So this is a spectrum. It's not categorically different. Um, it's just that more often than not, if you let's say have a couple, one person is likely to be leaning more towards the enmeshed category and one person is likely to be lean more apathetic. So 
in uh, other language, we call these the pursuers and the withdrawers. <laughs> this is like a common couple that shows up in couple therapy where one person's like, no, we need to spend all of our time together. And the other person's like, no, we don't need to spend all of our time together. So usually they come in a set. Now, earlier you mentioned um, how much uh, you appreciate me working with a lot of people who are healers. Well, there's a good reason why I work with a lot of healer types. It's because how they serve others often is a, re a reflection of them trying to do their own trauma work. They just do it accidentally. So because in their own families of origin or in their childhoods, they haven't been given a lot of experience of um, having their needs be recognized as valid and being give, given space and permission to cultivate the individuality, these individuals find their worth and value being very much connected with how they interact with other people. So burnout, resentment, <laughs> um, feeling guilty uh, at doing self-care, like those are the common um, reasons why people reach out to me. It's not because they want to be a better healer per se. It's because they've done that too much, the point of depleting themselves and they still have needs. And that might be a rude awakening for them. So in their work with me, we kind of unpack, okay, there are some relationship dynamics that have been celebrated in your family of origin or maybe all of society, and it's not sustainable. So how can we go from whatever your relationship dynamic is, enmeshed or apathetic, where there isn't enough room for the both of you, and shifting towards a creating a different kind of relationship where there is space for the both of you to fully exist in your individuality, neither party being inherently good or bad, but so that when there is empathy and there's connection, it's a true connection. It's not a result of someone having sacrificed themselves or the other party's needs. So that's kind of in a nutshell. I have a visual to go with this, um, and uh, Melissa's going to uh, add it, add the link in the show notes, I guess. I love it. I um, There's so much that I wish I could, I want to like unpack uh, of that. Um, I think there's like this misconception that um, toxic relationships look only a certain way. Like it's only if there's like physical abuse, is it a toxic relationship? But you know, it could be, it could be physical. It could be emotional. It could be, um, manipulative by the, um, you know, I'm going to pull away from you when you do X, Y, and Z. And it's, it can look a, you know, a ton of different ways. Um, so with people coming into your office as couples, you know, do you generally find it kind of takes two people doing their own work to really see a real, um, I guess, happy conclusion yes uh the the healers who reach out to me tend to be exhausted and depleted because they're trying to do two people's work instead of just their own <laughs> and having their partner or family member or friend or whatever uh do their own respective work that part is super hard um, because their bodies have been trained to uh to overly take on responsibility it's kind of a that's going to be a whole another conversation in and of itself, but it actually is a way for the person to feel like they're in, in control in some sense, but they accidentally end up stealing the other person's opportunity to do their own work and grow. So I guess with that, I mean, I think a lot of it is yeah, letting go of, okay, this is my job. I can handle my work, but I can't do the other person's. 
you know, if, if that person chooses not to do their work and maybe the relationship ends, whatever relationship that is, you know, how can someone move, not move on, but have a healthy relationship after that toxic relationship? You know, what does that look like? What are some um, maybe tools to unlearn unhealthy things and relearn healthy relationship habits? You know, how, what do you, how do you do that? We tend to connect with other people the way that we're used to living life. And so it's really hard to try to change our own ways using ourselves as a reference guide. It's just not going to work because the reason why we got to where we were now has been because we've been consulting ourselves. <laughs> so, you know, often anything that involves a person learning or gaining thing, information from the outside, that being through books, podcasts, seminars, therapy, etc., or other relationships, and then just kind of learning it, you know, the hard way. Uh, those are all fantastic ways by which we get to learn about ourselves. Even uh, so, to give you an example, I uh, am a firstborn, second generation Korean American, um, meaning my family moved to the states uh, from Korea, and. I thought for the longest time that it was totally normal for the dads to like live part-time in the States and part-time in Korea. Like in Korea, there's an actual term for this. It's called albatross dad. Uh, a lot of it happens to be uh, when the uh, father person uh, is like a uh, traveling professor or sometimes it's based on work. I thought that was super normal until I was in college and Thanksgiving was about to come around. And so my friends were just telling me about what they're going to do with their family. And it was the weirdest thing hearing them say how, you know, they're going to hang out with their dad and stuff. I'm like, how does that, how does that make any sense? <laughs> so all to say, sometimes we learn more about ourselves in interacting with other people um, or gaining information from the outside. So um, there are some books or some resources that I recommend. Uh, the two favorite ones are uh, the book called Safe People, uh, written by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. These are the same folks who wrote the book on boundaries. Um, and there's another one uh, called Radical Candor. Uh, I also wrote a book about this, a, a blog about this. It's on my website. Um, Radical Candor is written by someone who's um, worked at a lot of companies in the Silicon Valley. and uh, the idea is that radical candor is when uh, a person is able to have high regard for both themselves and others at the same time. And when one or both of those are missing, then you get the other three uh, arrangements. Um, so the, the three arrangements, they're called obnoxious aggression, when there's only room for one's own needs and not for others. Uh, insincere manipulation, which is when a person is neither particularly caring about themselves or the other person. And then the last one is called ruinous empathy, which is the main group that I work with, <laughs> where there's a high regard for other people, but very low regard, if at all, for themselves. And again, all three of those don't fall in the radical candor category. And so part of what, the work that they do in therapy is to learn how to balance out having regard for themselves just as much as they have for other people. Oftentimes the fear is, oh, if I take care of myself, then I'm taking away from other people. No, you're just caring for yourself just as much as. 
you do for other people. So there's some like retraining of um, uh, messages that they uh, picked up growing up or from their own churches or <laughs> society at large. A lot of women uh, and minorities tend to fall into that ruinous empathy category. It's an example where empathy is not always a good thing in the same way that hope is not always a good thing. There are healthy ways of doing it. There are unhealthy ways of doing it. And in the same way, there are definitely unhealthy ways of doing guilt and anger. And that's what people will usually know them as. But there are instances where uh, anger and guilt are absolutely necessary. So rounding out the full spectrum of emotions, considering oneself as just as important as the other person, it's not either or, it's both and. Those are the two resources, Safe People and Radical Candor. Uh, those are my usual go-to <laughs> books. That's awesome. I, I think, I mean, you touched on so much there. I think it's like this idea that, um, I know my big takeaway is that it's, I mean, it's like this lifelong process of, you know, you don't just have a toxic relationship and then you're like, and over, you know, you, you have to like, you continually unpack, whether it's in therapy, um, but continuing to have relationships. Um, and sometimes it's, it's hard to get back out there, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship relationship, um, maybe like a ministry relationship, whatever that looks like being able to learn to, okay, not every relationship is going to be this way. And I can, I can retrain not just in the therapy office, but in, in real life, you know, having to like learn healthier ways of doing things. Um, that's a big thing that I've, I know I've had to work on personally. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. It's a very gradual process because, uh, contrary to what people think that they can just like choose a healthy relationship. If people could do that, they would have done it already. <laughs> um, but it's a very gradual process because our own bodies resist sudden change. The re reason why dieting programs don't work, there's an equilibrium point where healthy people are not drawn to unhealthy people and unhealthy people are not drawn to healthy people for very different reasons. Healthy people aren't drawn to unhealthy people because it's too chaotic. Unhealthy people aren't drawn to healthy people because it's too boring. And people have a very visceral reaction internally where sometimes, even for the person who leans more unhealthy but is like wanting to grow towards health, sometimes for reasons that they can't understand, their bodies resist something that is actually more life-giving because uh, the nervous system has been so trained to reject that upfront as a way of preventing an even deeper, scarier pain. So I work with a lot of ruinous empathy people, a lot of healers and a lot of compassionate, responsible types. A lot of people have opportunities to choose a healthy relationship, let's say where the other person really cares about them, but they, for some reason, turn that down because it's scarier for them to be in an actual healthy relationship and like what happens if it falls apart well that means it confirms that nobody's gonna love me so this happens on a very unconscious level it's not something that people do it deliberately but that's the degree to which there's such deep um, uh, physiological wiring within our brain and in the past episode we talked about the how the, the brain isn't just one brain, but just a thinking part, but it's like the emotional and the reflexive brain. All these uh, parts are interconnected, so you can't just pick and choose what to focus on. Uh, sometimes people will have very visceral reactions 
where they push away good things. This probably shows up in the way that people do their own faith <laughs> relationships with God. Like God is like trying to like, you know, give them all these, you know, good experiences, but then the person's like, no, I'm unworthy. And they kind of like reject it up front. So, I mean, you can take the uh, relationship with God as a significant attachment relationship. So definitely the stuff that I'm talking about today also kind of applies there too. Um, it's, it's fascinating, especially within Christian circles, just how much that ruinous empathy piece kicks in. It's not healthy, y'all. <laughs> and there is something that's far, far uh, greater and deeper. Um, but we've assumed that that is what is healthy. It makes me think about there's a verse where it talks about um, that we are supposed to carry one another's burdens, but also carry our own loads. And that's something that it's, it's hard when you're in like a serving type relationship where, you know, you're ministering to other people or maybe like a parent with a kid, you know? Um, and it's like, okay, what point does that need to stop? You know, um, like I said, I'm, I have two kids and it, for a long time, it's going to be me serving them. It's going to be not reciprocal, but at some point they're going to grow up and it has to change, you know? Um, anyway, I, I do want to kind of move on a little bit to the idea of, um, God's space in the healing process with this, you know, like kind of what is, you know, what does the Bible say about toxic relationships? I mean, if you read and you flip open like randomly in the Bible, you will find a toxic relationship. Um, but I would love to kind of hear, you know, how does God, you know, take place in that, in the healing process, um, after a, well, also maybe during a, a toxic relationship. And now that I think about it, I think there are many more examples of toxic relationships in the Bible than there are healthy ones. <laughs> Um, I do want to say this one extra piece because it is really important. Toxicity doesn't mean the same thing as abuse because there's another kind of toxicity in relationships and it's called neglect. Oftentimes abuse and neglect can't get lumped in the same category. They're completely different things. Uh, abuse being the presence of a bad thing, neglect being the present, uh, neglect being the absence of a good thing. We need to consider both of those things at the same time. Uh, and if we consider the first book of the Bible, Genesis, I think the, the bulk of that book, that significant book, is about Joseph. We cover the whole, you know, several generations of his family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph at the end. And I think that's one of like the clearest examples of there being so much drama <laughs> between family members. Like there's like lying, there's cheating, there's favoritism, there's exclusions and rivalry, competition, all kinds of weird stuff. And that happened because each generation didn't do their personal work. Now, these are the fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like, you know, people will you know, um, speak very highly of them. But actually the, the chapters that describe what happened in the subsequent generation is because the previous generation didn't do their work because there are patterns in these dynamics of like lying, cheating, stealing, etc. So when it comes to Joseph, <clears throat> I think that his experience shows why it's so important for people to do their own personal work and what happens afterwards when they do. We see uh, Joseph after he has been 
you know, sold by his brothers and spent all this time completely cut off from his family. His family members uh, or his his parents thought that he was dead. His brothers knew that he wasn't. Um, but like in seeing in reconnecting with his brothers, well, as as like the second in command in all of Egypt, like I think if I were in this position, I would have done some made some very different decisions with all that power. There could have been moments of retaliating. There could have been moments of punishing. And I wouldn't blame him, but what uh, there there's a one there's one particular section where it talks about how he like sent his brothers out, and he just cried. And I'm gonna say that he was probably wasn't crying solely because he was sad, because crying is not just about sadness. But he was probably like full of rage, full of hurt full of uh, feeling helpless and powerless and he wrestled with god when he was like thrown into the hole in the ground and thrown into the prison like he had a really rough 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 life and each of those moments he had he he struggled with god around like how to make sense of this awful thing that happened that he had zero control over and he didn't have anything to do with like the worst thing that he did was like to maybe brag in front of his brothers that he had a cool coat. Like that was about it. Like there's nothing that he experienced that uh, was warranted from what he did when he was a child. And so by the time we get to like the end of Genesis and before we read about his sons going forward, there's that scene where it's like so moving about how much he was like so struggling internally while also trying to do the right thing. And that I think if, if I were to choose any Bible story uh, to highlight why therapy is so important, like it would be that (laughs) it's like you have a responsibility to shift how things go going forward. It is not your fault that you experience all this stuff, but you technically have power and influence in determining or influencing what happens going forward. And so will you take that shot or not? I think that's like the big question that uh, a lot of people are presented with, especially for parents. I think that's kind of a, a big question that they really deliberate over. And with that, with that story in particular, there's a verse where he talks about, he says to them, what you have intended for harm, God has used for good. And it's so mind blowing because that makes zero sense, like how that could happen. That like God could take some really, I mean, horrific things that happened to him that he was like sinned against by so many people. And like this generational, these sin patterns in humanity, brokenness, all that stuff was passed down generationally that he could have, yeah, like an easy out would have been like, all right, hey, y'all threw me in a pit and sold me to slavery, like off with your heads, you know? But he didn't like he chose grace and like that shows like the possibility that God has in transforming us. And I think what's so cool is like for those of us that have done, you know, have been doing the work, I have hope that like, you know, I love like my parents, but like there were things that were difficult, but I have hope that like, hopefully I can pass down something a little bit better to my kids. And it's not saying that I'm going to be perfect, but like, I'm going to do the work as best as I can to make sure that I'm not handing them unnecessary trauma and, and, and toxicity or anything like that. And it's, it takes hard, it's hard work. And I, I think it's really key that you've mentioned that, that there's generational things that, you know, even, even Abraham, who was like God's like person made some really, you know, huge, huge mistakes. And that impacted generations. 
And I mean, yeah, today, I mean, that's like the big reason I'm doing this series is like, you know, if we've walked through trauma, we've walked through toxic relationships, how can we find ways through relationship with God, through therapy, you know, through having healthier relationships, how can we move on and then be able to like move forward toward Christ and then be able to move others that are, are, are still in that, that, that struggle. Um, and I think, man, if we can find healing, we can bring it to others. Um, I would love to, to kind of hear, um, and I, obviously you've, you've shared so, so much like gold, um, but I would love to kind of hear how you do this in like a therapy setting. Um, when you've got a toxic relationship, what does that look like to work through that in that setting? Well, when people come in, they know what they know and they don't know what they don't know. <laughs> so a big part of it is uh, get, ha- helping the person understand their relationship history. And they, most people will be able to recall certain events that have happened in their life, but they're going to probably consider them in isolation as like being unrelated. So there are a couple of exercises that I do with people. One is called the top 10 list. So the top 10 best memories, top 10 worst memories. So they put it all on a single sheet of paper. And then after they're done, they kind of zoom out and see if there are any patterns in between those different events. Because sometimes when we're stuck in the weeds, it's kind of hard to be able to tell like just how they influence us. They put that on what's called a life timeline. It's like literally they're drawing a timeline of their life and they're putting these things, the positive events above, the negative events below. Um, having that bird's eye view kind of in, in, that, um, in that sense helps people to kind of draw connections that were always there, but it just didn't, uh, it didn't uh, show up in the same way as when they are um, doing these exercises. Uh, similarly, there's another exercise called the genogram, which is like a, a fancy family tree. <laughs> but instead of writing down people's names, there's information regarding um, different individual traits of each member of the household um, and uh, parents' generation and grandparents' generation. Any big events that any of the family members went through, including things like immigration, wartime experiences. Uh, traumas, again, the big T traumas of like actual events or like maybe having grown up in a very harsh neighborhood for extended periods of time. I don't know. All those things get added onto this diagram that reveals also like relationship dynamics between different individuals. It's a very visual uh, uh, image. I have uh, drawn one for Ross Geller from Friends, the TV show, and it's on my website. And it's kind of seeing how there's so many things that go on between different members that are so invisible. It's not always a physically explicit event, but um, like when grandpa shows up, everyone just kind of turns their heads elsewhere. You know, so those things, when we see it in visual form, it's like, okay, like now I can take this genogram and next time I go see my family for Thanksgiving, it's like, oh yeah, (laughs) there's a lot of stuff that's happening that, never occurred to me because this is the air that I breathed growing up. So some of those exercises are super helpful. Um, So instead of me telling people like what to do differently, unless they know like how they've been up to this point, it's really hard to change what you don't know. Um, And the other two resources, the safe people book, uh, radical candor are just some 
other frameworks with which a person can kind of locate themselves and know like what to do going forward. Um, in the last episode, I talked about the Enneagram, uh, which people may have mixed feelings about, um, but it's one of the ways by which I've um, supported when connecting with their core needs and fears and experiences. There's a lot of interconnection with the Enneagram and also what happens within our physical bodies on a, even on a nervous system level. Um, among many, there are a lot of <laughs> different things that we can do uh, in, in my sessions with folks. I love that. And I think for me, I just want to kind of come back to this idea that, you know, if, if you're watching this or listening to this right now, if you've walked through either trauma or toxic relationships, don't just assume that it's just going to get better on its own. Take the time, obviously talk with God about it, talk with a pastor or a trusted friend, but also look into getting therapy. I mean, there's, I mean, there's so much stigma sometimes in the church about getting therapy, but it's so, so important uh, to be able to take time intentionally to sit down and just address these issues. Um, if we don't address them, they will pop up elsewhere. Um, like that, uh, the beach ball metaphor that Joanne uh, keeps using. And it's really, I mean, it's just important that if we don't take care of our issues, um, they will resurface and we won't be able to really move on and do the things that God wants for us to do. Um, and we can't really fully become the people God wants us to be. So we've got to do the hard work. Um, is there anything, anything left, Joanna, that you would love to share before we kind of close? So I uh, do weekly Instagram lives, uh, Tuesdays at 12. And uh, one of the categories that I cover, I think it's usually like the second week of the month, is about relationships. And so these are two quick two to five minute videos about different conversations I actually have with people in session. Um, and I also, on my website, have a specific blog for relationships. And so um, a lot of those uh, blogs, again, are, are conversations that I actually have with people in session. And so if you resonate with any part of uh, what I've shared today, check out those, uh, those blog posts because there's going to be a lot more stuff, also like some links to useful resources. And there's, um, Joanne's also got like a really phenomenal, obviously website is really great. Instagram, she's got all these really wonderful videos. I've been watching them. I've been learning a lot. Um, but I want to encourage you to follow her on Instagram, on Facebook. You know, she's got a lot of great resources. I'll link all those below um, so that you can kind of, you can continue to be encouraged by her. Um, if you're looking for a therapist, <laughs> that's also a thing that is, if you live in the state of California. Um but yeah, I just, um, thank you seriously, um, Joanne for just taking the time just to, you know, chat with us about what it means to be, um, you know, walking through trauma or in, you know, having walked through a traumatic toxic relationship, you know, how we can grow. So, um, thank you for doing that and just kind of helping us also to connect that with our faith and what it means to follow God, you know, during and after these kinds of events. So, um, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, awesome to be here. Well, everyone, thanks for joining me for today's episode. Um, we've talked about um, toxic relationships. I hope that it was an encouragement to you. If you want to learn more, take a look at the links below. And um, I will see you all next week.